Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast. I'm Fraser Rice. Today we're going to speak with Tyrone Ross of Noble Bridge Wealth. Tyrone is a startup investor and financial consultant and has developed a deep expertise in the cryptocurrency space. He's been a go-to expert for many financial advisors as the space evolves. In addition to his cryptocurrency niche, Tyrone has carved out a burgeoning media and Twitter presence with his outspoken and impactful views on the need for inclusion in the closed-off world of financial advice. Tyrone is also officially the fastest person I've ever interviewed, as he was an Olympic qualifier in the 400 meters back in 2004. Welcome aboard, Tyrone. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Let's dive into your background a little bit. How did you get into the financial advice business? Fairly circuitous route, but I I started on Wall Street doing investor relations at a firm called Financial Dynamics, which is now part of uh, FTI Consulting. Um, So I was doing investor relations. I knew nothing about Wall Street. I was 26 years old. Had a mentor there who worked at Lehman. He can tell I was like a caged animal sitting behind a cube staring at Bloomberg terminals and big dough and all this stuff. And he's like, have you thought about the retail side? And I'm like, I don't know what the retail side is. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I ended up at a, a, a little Wolf of Wall Street chop shop in One Penn Plaza right here in uh, New York City. Got my 7 to 63. And then I heard about something called a wirehouse and then figured that out and then ended up there. Long story less long, uh, was at Merrill uh, for five years uh, where I actually learned to be an advisor um, and work with clients in that capacity with my mentor there. And then uh, July will be two years to be uh, independent. Uh, registered investment advisor. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So uh, as I say, stated in the background uh, piece in the introduction, uh, you're probably the fastest guy I've ever talked to. <laughs> and you uh, you came within an eyelash of making the Olympic team. Mm-hmm. Talk about that a little bit. How did how did that influence you? And, and how do you use that going forward? Great question. I was 16 years old. I was, I was watching um, the Atlanta games. And I was like, man, that's something I really want to do. I didn't know what it entailed and how much work it would require, but right that was right about my sophomore year of high school, and I just kind of fell in love with track, and I'm like, this is something that I want to do, and I just, again, it, when you have a dream, it's just in you, but long story short, I got a full scholarship to go to Georgia Tech, um, didn't work out at Georgia Tech, got kicked out twice, finished at Seton Hall, and then when I finished at Seton Hall, I'm like, yeah, I want to keep running. I think I want to give this a shot. Um, track and field is why I'm sitting here. I'd given my life to it, ultimately almost took my life because of it, because my dream didn't come true in 2012. I was this close to committing suicide. You talk about that close to making the Olympic team. Right. Um, because my dream didn't come true. So in 2004, um, I qualified. They took 27 guys. Me and a 28th guy had the same time, so they left us both out. I was on my way to the airport. Got the call um, that, there was, you know, I had a friend who was on a committee. He was like, don't get on the plane. He was like, you didn't get in. So that was crushing I was 24 years old, and four years later, um, I actually was working at the firm I was telling you about and working on Wall Street, trying to train, getting up at 3.30 in the morning to train, to get on a 5 o'clock train, to work all day, to come home and train again at 9 o'clock. I was a half a second off the qualifier in 08, and then in 2012, I tore my groin two weeks before the Olympic trials. Ugh. So, yeah, it's it's uh, I'd given my life to it. And, you know, my dream is never going to come true, which sucks. And I have to deal with that every day of my life. But I'm given new purpose. Um, And one of the things that you realize, one of the hardest things in life you can do is even attempt to become an Olympian. The, the, The time, the dedication, the commitment, the sacrifice that it takes 
in relation to what people think Wall Street is and how hard it is, it, it really isn't. Oh, it's not even close. <laughs> it's not even close. Well, the thing, too, I mean, you had to be in the 0.01% of the fastest people alive. Right. And, and, and to go from, I guess, sort of raw talent to mm-hmm. super talent slash yeah. production, yeah. Uh, that's just got to be an enormous amount of work and Huge. sort of adherence to the craft. Yeah, 100%. It, it, it encompasses my whole life. I mean, I, I, was, I didn't go anywhere. I didn't vacation. I didn't do anything. I'm like, I was so dedicated to a training three times on Christmas, not opening gifts and tracking what you eat and your sleep and how much you walk and everything. It, it, it requires an Herculean effort, um, not only by you, but a team of people around you to make sure that you even get close. Right. <laughs> right. Uh. Not even to make it, but to even get close. So when you actually step into this business, it's kind of like, all right, what are you guys complaining about? Right? Yeah, no, so, exactly. Perspective, right? So, uh, perspective. One last question on the running side sure. of things. You, you you knew you were fast at some point. Mm-hmm. How much how much faster did you get with the discipline and the training? So when I, f- I finished high school, I ran 47.19 as a 17-year-old high school senior, um, which was good for five New Jersey State championships and a full ride to college. And I'd ended up, I don't know, sixth, seventh in the nation that year. So that was a 17. So all that work going into it, I PR'd at 24. So my PR 45.93. Wow. So someone thinking about that is like, well, it doesn't sound like a lot. No, but that's, that's a it's, ton. Yeah, that's a ton that goes into that work. And then if you think about it, I, I was 47.1 as a senior in high school, but my freshman year of high school ran 55. So I, I went from 55, I believe, to 51 and change my junior year to 48 my junior, I mean, my sophomore year, 48 my junior year, 47-1. And then it was bouncing around a little bit. My college career was all over the place because, again, I, I couldn't academically focus. But, yeah, there's a whole lot of work that goes into that, a whole lot of work. Oh, what a cool, I mean, it's not a cool story. You didn't make the team and that's rough, but yeah. it's amazing to be able to talk to somebody who is that good at something and, and to hear about that. No, I appreciate that. That means a lot because again, looking at this business where I'm around folks like yourself or other people who are CFAs or CFPs and they have billion dollar businesses, whatever the case may be, they dedicated their lives to that and they're successful in that area. The one thing I dedicated my whole life to will never manifest. So to hear you say that is comforting because- when I do tell it, those same people on the other side of the table, like, man, I can only imagine what that's like. And I'm like, well, I can only imagine what it's like to be you. But again, it's 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 a different area of focus, but that same dedication, that same commitment um, and desire to want to be great. And that's literally what it was. That's the beautiful thing about it. Becoming an Olympian is then putting the medal around your neck, but you actually become it as a person because you have to transform yourself into that before you ever become it. So a lot of those tenets and beliefs and principles I bring into my everyday life now, so those things will never leave me, which is good. So let's uh, let's shift it from Olympic dreams to uh, sort of financial advice, and then moving into the cryptocurrency world, where you've carved a really cool niche yeah. in the space. Let's do it. It's it's such a broad concept. When someone comes to you and they say, you know what, Tyrone, I, I I'm interested in cryptocurrencies. I'd like to invest in them. How do you get them to a level of knowledge that they can make a good decision? Right. So I always uh, I've, I've been blessed to have the opportunities now to speak about, you know, my practice, which I've built totally around crypto. And one of the things that I tell people, I have to almost give a disclaimer because they come to me with owning crypto. They've already they're savvy on it. My clients are younger. They're high earners. They're tech savvy. 
They've grown up with the iPhone, so they understand all that. So they just come to me because they're like, you're the only financial advisor I know that won't tell me to sell my Bitcoin. It's the first thing. Right. And they tell me that. Yep. The second thing is I know that you understand all of the nuance that comes along with the business right now, right? Hot and cold storage, hardware wallet, right? Online, online wallet, right? Uh, paper wallet, whatever the case may be. So they come to me for that and my advice. So I don't really give asset allocation advice. I really try and get them to understand, like, maybe you should diversify away from crypto and put a little in other asset classes. But they already have portfolios constructed. They they may have large positions in certain coins. And we get them to talk about, again, the basics of right financial planning, the basics of goal setting, the basics of estate planning now, which is an issue that a lot of folks don't really talk about when it comes to crypto. But they're really just leaning on me for... Um, my expertise in the area, but if you want to call it that, I just say my knowledge base. I don't want to call myself an expert, but I don't suggest allocations. I don't uh, custody. I don't transact. What, what my practice looks like now, I think, is where our business is going in the future, whether advisors like it or not. It may not necessarily be crypto, but I think younger clients have a lot of that in hand already, and they're just going to come to financial advisors to be like, am I doing this right? Yeah, no question you know? about it. I, and I think to, not just in the crypto world, but in the technology world, the clients in many ways are leaps and bounds ahead of the industry. 100%. And so it's it's a challenge, at least for me, to, in a sense, keep up with my client base to mm-hmm. to say, okay, and, you know, this is how you want to see things. This is how you think about it. This is how you want to experience your wealth, that type of scenario. And you know, you run as fast as you can just to keep up with that type yeah. of thing. Absolutely. So then you go into the cryptocurrency world, which has a lot of it's evolving so quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's tough to be educated on that. Yes. Uh, how do you, aside from conferences and talking to people, which is really probably the best way to do it? How mm-hmm. do you how do you stay abreast of the current trends? And really, maybe the better question is, you get to a point where you see the news, and it's like, well, this exchange went down, or this person lost this, and. It's tough to understand the technical nuance behind all of that. How do you get people comfortable with staying in the cryptocurrency world? Right. So a few things there to unpack. So the main thing is I'm literally crypto sun up to sundown. There's just too much. You got to take it in. So Twitter is the main hub. Mm -hmm. Um, If you want to know anything about crypto, you have to be on Twitter. Kind of like the startup space, which I also play in. You got to be on Twitter. But Twitter is probably the most... um, you know, compacted place where a lot of the best minds are sharing information. So Twitter, for sure, there's a lot of newsletters, um, podcasts, obviously talking to people, being out, um, having conversations. I'm now, and I'm I'm blessed to be in a situation where people reach out to me and say, hey, saw a tweet. I saw, you know, heard you on this podcast, reach out to you. Um, And I've been able to make connections with some of the larger companies in the space now, Delphi Digital on the research side, BlockFi, um, Ledger, a lot of different come digital assets, data. Um, I have clients at CoinDesk. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of, I'm wrapped in it. And again, but it's just constant information. Like you said, it, it's constantly changing. There's a lot of news. Um, and I think I, I was talking to a large um, advisor yesterday, very large firm, multi-billion dollar firm. They won't touch crypto. And I was like, well, tell me your thoughts. Or what you, and it was all misinformation. Right. So I told him, I'm like, you're just not getting 
the right information. And that's what I try and do. I'm not trying to convince anybody about this. That's not my job. There's, okay. enough, there's enough people on Twitter doing that. And they're already convinced by the time they come to you. Exactly. So you're, you're trying to manage, right. manage the risk in a sense. Exactly. So I'm not trying to convince them on it. And even outside, advisors, I mean, I think anyone can go to my, my Twitter page. I don't try to convince people. I try and educate people. Right. Because I need financial advisors to understand, well, this next run-up, it's coming. I don't know when, but it's going to come. It's just the, the, the nature of market cycles. Are financial advisors prepared for people inundating them with what is Bitcoin? What should I do? Should I buy this? Should I buy that? Um, what is this? What is that? So one of the things that's important for me, I, I feel a tremendous responsibility to get people to understand the truth and separate all of the noise, right? And even from Forbes crypto, Bloomberg crypto, the stuff that CNBC does, it, they're not doing anybody a favor right. by what they're putting out. And it's hard when you have people who are looking through the Buffett, Munger, Norio, Rabini lens at the space where it's fake internet money, which I thought at one point, and just getting people to understand the basics. So they say, okay, there's something here. And here's the main point of that, right? I've spoken to Tobias Carlisle. I've spoken to now, you know, Nick Majuli over at Ritholtz, a few folks, really smart folks. I'm not smart, right? But those folks are really smart. They know how to crunch data and look at things. And I, I tell all of those guys, if you just get to the basics and read it and just sit with it, you can't dismiss it. There's something there where you're like, okay, this may be something, Right. Um, but I think the people that are completely dismissing it have never taken the time to actually learn about it. And like I said, me with my little pea brain, if I can figure it out, I know that some of these people who are brilliant can figure it out as well. So anyone is just still in 2019 dismissing it or saying there's nothing there hasn't really taken the time um, to learn about it properly. One of the things that I talk to clients about when it comes to me is understanding how do you use Bitcoin before you invest in it? One of the big barriers for me, and I, I have not jumped in with my into the pool with Bitcoin myself, mm -hmm. but I like the idea that when you're able to buy real estate with Bitcoin, that to me will be the signal that it has arrived uh, as a currency, as a as a method of payment, mm -hmm. um, and that that tells me that the confidence underlying Bitcoin has gotten to a certain a certain level of the zeitgeist where people universally are saying, "Okay, I'm comfortable with this." There's a method of safety around it. The custody issues have solved themselves mm -hmm. a little bit. That to me is sort of where I'm like, okay, that, that's when I can confidently go out to people and say, all right, Bitcoin is for you. Uh, even if you don't understand it to the level of understanding how the blockchain underpins it and what it looks like from a transfer of payment type of method and where it graduates from that to a currency. Uh, mm -hmm. How do you think about it? And, and disabuse me if you think that's sort of a strange barrier. No, it, 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 it is. But again, I think that's just that there's, I always tell people there's two types of ignorance. Ignorance, you just don't know. And in ignorance, I know and I don't care. And I'm not going to acknowledge <laughs> it, right? If you look at what's happening, right, just news recently, now you can pay your, your AT&T bill with crypto. Microsoft announced that they're going to start using the Bitcoin blockchain for decentralized ID. Huge, huge, huge. That's big news. That's one of the largest companies in the world saying that they're going to utilize the Bitcoin blockchain. Massive news. Um, JP Morgan, Facebook. The issue is this. When people are able, and so, and, and, and on top of that, uh, Whole Foods, Nordstrom, the list is endless where you can go in and you can buy, yeah, yeah, we can go to, walk down the street, go to Whole Foods, and we can pay with Bitcoin right now. Right. right? We wow. download that. So you can do that. Mm -hmm. So you can, and people have been paying 
um, with things, right, um, with Bitcoin. But to your point, until it's in the background where people know that they used they they transacted and they didn't even use the blockchain or they didn't even use Bitcoin or whatever, it's just simple or right. a token or whatever. We're a long way from that, but that's where we're going to have to go. Where like whatever the the connection is and the technology and everything has allowed us to do this right now. I don't understand it, but we're using it and it's going to work until crypto gets there. And we're a long way from that. Um, I think we're still at the point where people are learning. We're still at the point where people are a little confused. And this is why it's so important for people to get the right information. So long story short, in, in, in terms of answering your question, I think it is being used. I guess now you, you hear arguments about a store value, right? And people laugh at that. How the hell is it a store value if it was down 80%, right? And then you get into the whole Austrian economics and that debate, right? And then you, there's some people say, okay, well, you know, it's not really a unit of an account now because we still look at things in dollars or whatever, right? But one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. And then you have the medium of exchange, which is starting to be more of a narrative, but Bitcoin is not going to be a success because we're all walking around, in my opinion, and people have different opinions about this. We're all walking around transacting in Bitcoin. That's not its. That's not the the true value of it. Um, and and I can go deeper with that. Just in terms of what my fascination is with crypto, what it what it's really going to be about is how it's going to allow. And I've said this with our business, especially. It's not whether about crypto is a security, whether it's a commodity whether it's a, a viable asset class, whether it has intrinsic value. If that's what you think is an advisor or anyone in the asset management space, you're totally missing the ball. Right. What crypto is going to do is completely rehaul our business and our business model. There's a firm in, uh, in Singapore right now called Trustverse where they are already doing trust wills and estate planning on the Ethereum blockchain using smart contracts. Johnny gets a uh, first payment of 1 million at 18, gets another 5 million at 21. He gets the rest of 25. That's in the smart contract cannot be changed. It's done. They're using AI and the blockchain and all of the stuff. Again, I don't want to get too techie, but I'm saying that to say, now you come here. We're a long way from that. We'll probably never get there, but yeah, for- I don't know. I, I mean, I, I've seen a couple of companies that uh, they haven't gone full blockchain as it relates to estate planning and so on. But I mean, you even look at the you know, title insurance mm-hmm. or something like that. I mean, that that industry that's going to be completely overhauled. Yeah, and I look at you know something like Western Union, yep. where you have five points of friction for a payment transfer, and I'm yep. saying they 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 better adapt quickly or yeah. show's over. Yeah, and they've they've made some announcements as well about using a blockchain. And, you know, um, I can't think of which one, but they, they made some announcements. You have a company called TransferWise is doing something similar. So I say I like to say the how it's going to change our business model and it's going to change how just commerce happens, how people transact, how people interact. That's the power of cryptocurrency, not whatever people think Bitcoin is, a store of value. You know, uh, the best way I've heard it described is a call option on a store of value, right? Of basically being digital gold. Um, so it's less about that, more about is how it's going to pervade all of the other areas of our lives. And that's happening and you're seeing it. But unfortunately, it's not really staying in the headlines. Um, because again, when Microsoft says, okay, well, we're going to use the most secure, powerful, um, you know, blockchain in the world to do our project on decentralized identification, that's massive, right? And then you have 
the CEO, right, uh, Satya taking pictures with Adam Back, who is one of the, right, the doyens in, of, of crypto. Um, that's huge and publicly putting that out and what Square is doing, right, Jack Dorsey and Cash App. So the, it's out there. It's there. But that narrative, that story is not being told. Um, it's, it's oh, a, a, a $50 million hack at a an exchange that gets more of the pub than, well, look at what Microsoft is doing, right? And then here's the power of what Microsoft does. They understand design. They understand utility. They understand making things simple and working with a broader audience. So it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. Well, and their products touch basically every business that's out there. there you Microsoft, go. Excel, to Outlook, to yep. LinkedIn, to everything. They, yep. they, they have the pr- platform to yep. have, have their developments pervade very quickly into the marketplace Absolutely. if they do it intelligently. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you are... Uh, well, I think a lot of people sort of look at Bitcoin and use the word to sort of uh, analogize to the all of the cryptocurrency space and even to the blockchain space, generally speaking. Right. Uh, how do you how do you get people to step back and sort of turn it from a Bitcoin discussion to a cryptocurrency discussion and Ethereum and Ripple and 50 other different ones out there to a blockchain discussion? Uh, and maybe a better question is when you have that diversification discussion with people who come to you having had initial exposure to Bitcoin, how do you widen their worldview a little bit as to what the power is and, and how to access it well? Great question. So uh, there's a few things there. So I try and get people when they're first learning, focus on Bitcoin, right? It has the biggest brand. It gets all of the attention, all of the, it's the darling right now, right? And it has the, you know, the the deepest bench in terms of developers and people that are working on it is part of the lexicon of, of, you know, it's in rap songs. It's all over the place now. But what I try and do is get people to step back and just simply learn the basics, right? Capital B, Bitcoin is the blockchain, little b, Bitcoin, when you see it written, refers to the actual coin, right? Basic education, right? And then you get into, as you mentioned, the blockchain debate versus, you know, the crypto debate or whatever. They're one and the same. You can't separate them. Right. I know people try to, but you can't. And you're starting to see, uh, oh, well, enterprise is using blockchain and, and they're going to do. Well, the truth is that's marketing, right? It's more, it's It's hype. They could use databases that they've been using, right? Blockchain is not a cure-all, can't fix everything. Um, And I think you're starting to see that. You haven't seen any real use cases of blockchain without an incentive, the incentive being a coin, which is right for miners to secure the network and get have a benefit for securing the network. They get a reward, which is Bitcoin. Um, What's the reward for uh, JPM coin? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. So <laughs> an, but, extra, an extra checking account. Right. Like, now, <laughs> right. Exactly. Now, now there, there are some, some interesting use cases, again, and things that are going on. But when people come to me, again, the savvy folks are different. They're familiar with coins that if I mention them, the names would make your head hurt. So they're out of it. But when new people come or they're, they've only owned Bitcoin and they want to get exposed to Litecoin or Ripple. And again, I don't want to get down the road with too many of the names. I really need people to just focus on that. Um, and, and the broader cryptocurrency ecosystem, I try and just get them to understand what it's simply all about, the ability to be peer-to-peer, me to you, no bank, right? No third party, right? right? Um, the, 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 the ease of use, how fast it is, um, things like that. And then where Bitcoin plays into that, and then all of, you know, like Litecoin, for example, is a derivative of the Bitcoin blockchain, right? They took the code, they changed it, and 
came up with Litecoin. So right. it get a little, it can get a little, little, little murky. So as far as diversification goes, or getting away from it. As an advisor right now, what I try and get folks to do is not to necessarily diversify into other crypto assets. I'm not big into that right now. I think it's too early. The, the, the correlations are still too tight. Yep. And as I mentioned, a lot of them are just simply a derivative of the code, uh, Bitcoin code base anyway. So you can't really diversify away for a lot of reasons. But what I try and get them to do is this. So I had a client who says, or oh, he owned um, a privacy coin. I don't know if it was Zcash or Monero. Might have been Zcash. I'm like, well, what's the thesis? Why do you own it? Right. So billionaires can hide money in the Cayman Islands. Mm-hmm. Bad thesis. Right? <laughs> I get it. It's a privacy coin, but I need a little more than that. You got to give me a little more. So challenging them as to why they own it. In the traditional world that you, you sit down with a client, you do financial planning. Okay, I have an a, a, you know, old IRA at Schwab. I have something at Fidelity. I got my 401k. Oh, I got one at this other job. And you do comprehensive financial planning and you get everything under one roof. And you're like, okay, yep, and we're going to plan it. And then you do a review and they're like, oh, I got this other account. I have a thousand shares of Tesla. You're like, oh, thanks for (laughs) letting me know. Yeah, thanks for letting me know, right? So this is kind of the same thing. It's like, oh, okay. Now you're telling me you own this weird coin. Why? Right? Why do you own, oh, I was in a barbershop or I was golfing and my buddy said whatever. And it's like, well, where'd you buy it? I don't know. You know, so it's like, it's kind of that thing. So you're still, you still get some of those same investor problems and same thing in, in crypto. So what I just try and get people to get centered, okay, you own Bitcoin, Litecoin or whatever. Why? Why is the majority of Bitcoin or whatever? And, and I think, you know, it goes a lot to their savviness when they bought Right. They may have put in a thousand dollars. Now they have, you know, years ago. Right. I think I have, a, you know, people come across them I in their cost basis and Bitcoin is, you know, oh, yeah. and in the hundreds of dollars, fifty dollars. And then you get people who bought it at the top and they're like, I'm still, you yeah, know, they, they have a different basis problem. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Different basis. <laughs> absolutely. So, you know, and then it's that it's that are that not argument, but that discussion. And then you have people who trade. I'm like, you do realize there's tax implications every time. Oh, yeah. oh uh, yeah. So it's like that's really what it comes down to. So it's less about um, diversification into other coins, or whatever. Trying to, why do you own what you own? What is, you know, what are you trying to do with it? When did you buy it? Are you trading? The tax implications, things like that. Um, here's what I would advise everybody to do: just listen to this. If you have any interest at all, start with Bitcoin. Stay with Bitcoin. Learn as much as you can about. I still learn about it every day. Right. Still so much to learn, but just try and get the basics down and see if it makes some sense to you. And one of the things that I do with people who either have an interest or I say, all right, I'm going to send you some literature, read it, come back to me with questions. And then depending on the level of the question, you realize, one, if they read it, right. right? And two, if they, and you get really good questions when they don't understand, right? Because you're like, okay, well, what about, well, why would, you know, and then you're like, ah, okay, now we can really start to build up an education around this. And so I would encourage everyone to learn, read as much as you can, ask questions and, and go to people who really understand it to ask more questions, to get educated then. And then when you get it all that done, still don't buy it, right? right? Figure out what that process looks like. Have someone either show you or send you some so you get it. And that's the, that's the breakthrough moment for me. I had a friend who was bothering me about Bitcoin for months. And I'm like, if you don't leave me alone with this fake stuff. And he's like, just sit down, just let me send you some. And he sent it to me and I was like, I need to pay attention to this. Right. This was different. It took two seconds, right? So um, I think once people learn, then they experience it, even if it's not with themselves, but they see how easy it is to buy it on Cash App or someone sends them some and they're like, 
that's it. Like, that's it. So one of the things that scares me about Bitcoin is is the custody issue. Mm. Uh, back in the day, I mean, you could have it on a thumb drive, but if you lost the thumb drive, that's it. It's gone. Uh, and then mm-hmm. now, now you have Coindesk and... Uh, which to me is sort of the, the right next solution. Mm-hmm. And now Fidelity and others are they're contemplating putting Bitcoin custody on their in their systems yeah, and so on, platform, which yeah. which to me is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you how do you get people comfortable with that? I, I know me, and I know that I lose things, and hard right. drives hard drives break and stuff like that. I wouldn't want a gajillion dollars contingent on my computer working. How do you how do you soften that blow? Here's what's interesting: it is not yet solved on the institutional side, right? right? Fidelity is going to help. Uh, Coinbase is starting to see a lot of money move their way in terms of their institutional custody product. It's getting solved. On the retail side, there's a lot of options that make it easier. But again, it's a little clunky. It's a little techie right now. You need someone to walk you through it. So then you get this split. If you buy on Cash App, if you buy on Coinbase, they kind of solve the custody issue for you in this sense. They put your Bitcoin in cold storage, right? And on Square, right? In Cash App, it's open source cold storage. So they're constantly working to make that more secure. So it's safe, right? Same thing with Coinbase. And the majority of people should stop there. Right. Because, again, they've gone, probably they are the best to want to make it accessible and probably the most protection, right, and and safest of everything is out there right now, in my opinion. Now, if you say, all right, I want to go next step. I want to take my Bitcoin off of Cash App or off of Coinbase, and I want to hold it myself. You put it on a hardware wallet, and then now you have that, right? And then it's like, okay, well, what do I do now? Safety deposit box, right? Right. I have a client, I'm dealing with that now. Like, what do I do? Um, And that's the toughest part right now because... Mm -hmm. What then happens if I lose that? It's gone forever, right? So you have to go to the to great lengths to make sure that you're saving and storing it properly, which is why you work with, if you're an individual investor, you work with an advisor that understands that. Mm-hmm. So I have clients that most of them want to self-custody. Self-custody is not that hard. I actually had a meeting with Ledger a couple of days ago. Um, where the custody solutions for retail is very robust, just a matter of making it easier for the average person. So I think it's not as hard as people think. You know, for people doing their own, yes, super hard. But if you have someone to walk you through it, it's fairly easy. But if I was to walk you through right now, you know, we we you know we finish the podcast and I send you twenty five dollars on cash app and you buy Bitcoin, you're good. I would tell you don't do any more. Right now, that twenty five dollars is twenty five thousand. I'm like, well. And here's the other piece where people don't get. Probably the safest place is on your phone, right? The Apple iPhone is fully encrypted. It's indestructible, right? Right. And, ter- and, and now the outward, yes, you drop it in it, it. But I'm saying in terms of people able to access it and get into it and steal, it's very hard to do. So if you go, you know, two-factor authentication, you have your thumbprint and all. Like you, if you go to great lengths with just everything that's on your phone and, and security on your phone, if you do have it then... Your, your Bitcoin saved on an app, on your phone, super safe, right? Um, that's a very safe way to do it right now. The issue where custody becomes an issue, as you said, is when people say, okay, well, I want to take my coins off of the exchange. Mm-hmm. That's when it becomes an issue and you have to go next steps to make sure that you're doing it properly. But it's more solved on the retail side as opposed to the institutional side. But 
when people are walked through how simple it is, they're like, oh, okay, like it's done. So before we pivot, I, I'm interested in uh, what you do on the marketing side, because yeah. I think the way you've carved your niche out on Twitter and elsewhere is, is really novel, especially in the space. And I talk a lot about sort of taking care of the name on the back of the jersey. Yeah. There are plenty yeah. of people who worry about the name on the front, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I really like what you've done on that front. Before we go to that, yeah. um, it just it just general terms, uh, as you look at Bitcoin mm-hmm. um, in, in the next five years, mm-hmm. what kind of either signposts or red flags should we be looking at in terms of broader acceptance? So I would pay close attention to the everyday larger apps and companies that you frequent and use and see if there's any announcements around them or they're starting to utilize cryptocurrency or doing something like that. Meaning, right, so for Facebook, a lot, they did a study, it was only a thousand people, but they were asking them, well, do you have any interest in crypto? No. Would you if Facebook did it? Absolutely. Right. right? Now we know their trust is, <laughs> right? Who? I mean, the, the only people that are trust less than uh, Facebook are financial advisors, I think. But <laughs> I mean, you know, when you when you look at that, I think that's the one thing. So pay attention on larger companies that are starting to be mentioned in the same breath as Bitcoin, right? And then separating the noise from it and saying, well, what are they actually doing with it? So that's one. Um, The other is, which I think, you know, five years from now, what you'll see is, again, more of it operating in a background where people don't realize that they're, you know, starting, we'll start to see a little bit where people are transacting using some type of cryptocurrency, right, or digital asset. Let's just make that clear. Digital asset where they're not even realizing that, okay, well, this token gets me access backstage or gets me a free Uber ride or whatever. Because let's be very clear. People do that already with their Uber credit card or whatever. You get points and then they're just going to transfer that value, right? Also, the big one is Amazon, right? right? When Amazon says anything about crypto ever, drop everything and start paying attention. And they have patents, right? They just got a major patent cleared where they're going to start, again, working on some type of proof of work blockchain project. Proof of work is a tip to it might be something involved with Bitcoin, maybe not. But Amazon has been very slow to move. They're not showing their hand on it. But I think if Amazon does something, Apple does something, um, Google already is, you know, they're kind of like, eh. but those three, um, if if they show their hand, I think would pay attention. And I'll end on this note. And you know this as well as I do. I'm not saying you'll laugh because we know this in our business, but. I was watching a video the other day and a woman gave a wonderful presentation and, and, and it sucks I can't remember her name now. And she was talking about crypto and adoption and everything else. She's talking to a room full of general folks and financial advice. She said, here's what you do. I'm going to make this very simple for you. Follow Goldman Sachs. Whatever Goldman Sachs does, pay attention to it and follow it. Goldman Sachs has been, they haven't really said much. They've bounced around it in maybe custody or, but you follow Goldman Sachs, and then I think also to pair that with you follow what J.P. Morgan is doing, and you know Jamie Dimon has done a complete 180. They're going another way. They're doing a whole lot of stuff. So again, when you start to see it in your banking, you start to see it in your commerce, then you're like, okay, this is a real thing. And in the industry, I, I, to me, the the major impact will be I, I foresee 50 percent turnover in workforce in the next five to 10 years. Because, Absolutely, because the way money moves, the way things are done, the way performance is calculated, all of 
that Bitcoin and by extension blockchain technology, this is going to change all of it. And I and the training that goes into that, it's just going to require a different type of worker. That to me, mm-hmm. the back office component. When you start seeing headlines about uh, workforces changing in mm-hmm. the financial services world, I think that's where it's going to really sort of pop. Agreed. So back to the marketing side. Of yeah. Uh, one of the cool things meeting you, we we met for the first time. Oh, it, was, it was right around when I launched my book. And yeah. We happened to we caught a coffee somewhere in Midtown and Culture uh, Expresso. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> one of the great things that I had totally dismissed Twitter for a long time. I I gotten active with it. I, I liked it, but it wasn't working for me. It's turned into this really cool community in the financial yes. services world. Yep. And what's your experience been with that as as a mode of communication? Mm-hmm. And how do you build that into your practice? So I, I, I had always loved Twitter. Um, once I, I think I was introduced in 09, 2010, something like that. And I'd always was always on it, and I was like, man, this is interesting. I realized I was learning a lot from it, but at the wirehouses, you can't really be on social media. It doesn't let you do anything. And maybe two and a half years ago, I started pushing the boundaries a little bit while I was still at Merrill. But um, I was starting to be really active and interacting with people. I'm like, man, there's really smart people here, and they'll reach out, right? You can they send can stuff. To them. Yeah, you can really, like, really smart people, people you admire. You can DM them, you can tweet them, and they'll respond back to you. It's amazing. So I'm like, okay. And then when I started to get into crypto and I started holding myself out as, right, and talking about crypto and things like that, and I got a DM from Josh Brown, and I'm like, well, if he crowned you, right? right. Um, and he DM me, he said, you know, we're all fans of your work. Um, you know, just keep posting, you know, whatever. And that was it. It was like, that was kind of like, oh, okay, what I'm doing is being seen by the community and it matters. And Shortly after that, Josh was like, come to our office, met with the guys there. A bunch of them started following me and, you know, you get likes and their retweets and him and I did a video. So I'm leading to that. A lot of this initially has to do with him. Um, He plucked me out of obscurity. Um, And then because I had a specialization in crypto that helped. And the interesting thing is this. My clients are all over Twitter. Right. Right. And I get business from Twitter. So... I was always thoughtful about what I posted, but now as a marketing tool, whether it's my clients or anyone who's looking to reach out to me, I want them to know what I think, what I'm looking at, what I'm reading, right? When people challenge me on certain things, not only for to test my knowledge base, but to see how I respond to it. I think a lot of what's happened recently is I started to realize whenever I would read someone's book or be on, you listen to their podcast, I would tweet them. And I would say, I, you know, I loved it. I learned a lot from it. And they would like it or they wouldn't say thank you. Right. And I'm like, that was really bothering me. And I'm big on gratitude. I'm big on, you know, showing appreciation. So I'm like, I'm going to push that narrative too. And again, the virus spread. And a lot of people now are saying, I appreciate you when they see me and everything else. So for me, I use Twitter to kind of be a little left of where most of where financial Twitter is. There's a lot of arguments on buybacks and Tesla and active (laughs) active versus passive. I'm like, they don't need another person talking about that, right? As a black male in this business, I feel like I have a unique perspective and background the way I grew up. I don't have Wall Street pedigree being the first in my family to finish high school. So I'm like, I'm going to go that way and see if they follow me, right? And for a while, no one did. But again, now that they do, I'm able to share my experiences, talk about things that are important to people, and then also 
they get a lot of me. They get some track stuff. They get some fitness stuff. They get some nutrition. They get a little bit of, you know, they get a, a lot of crypto, but then they get some startup stuff. So the highest praise, I think, is one where people reach out, new clients reach out. But when people say, man, you're one of my favorite follows on Twitter, right? It's and, amazing because, I, you know, if you're straight out of central casting, well, you know, private bankers normally this sort of stiff, starchy white guy in a suit <laughs> and all that stuff. Yep. But, but everything that makes you you and makes you unique, you add so much value to the discussion. Right. From your perspective. And yeah. I, I find that to be it's it's both heartening and enriching as yeah. I as I sort of watch and, and follow you on Twitter and, and the different discussions that come out that would never come out of a, sort of a traditional wirehouse or right. uh, in a sort of a traditional RIA where it's asset allocation and stocks, bonds, right. whatever. Right. And you're like, look, you know, there are different issues out there for people. Right. And you, you posted a video which, where you got into that a little bit. And, yeah. and it took off and went viral and nuts. went crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was the most authentic thing that I've seen from a financial advisor which i think which i think is the, that that's the power and right. uh, it, it's fun to watch you uh, as, as your career develops and as you sort of wed these or sort of tie these threads together with the track and your background but then yeah. your experience in the crypto world it, it you, you'd never you'd never sit back and say okay i want to these are the three things i want but it turns out that it's the most unique thing out there and it's great yeah I, no I really no that, that means that means the world to me and again it really does it means a lot again i just want to add value and i want people to learn from me right and and i i want to be a voice for the people that are voiceless there's so many people that have a voice right and and people who grew up like i did and poor people don't have a voice the, the, the working lower middle class don't have a voice. Middle class don't have a voice. As financial advisors, we aid and abet income inequality by helping rich people stay rich or wealthy or rich people get wealthy, right? So why not just use an hour of our time to go to a school or, or go to an orphanage or, or a woman's home and balance it out? There's nothing wrong with that. We do important work. We have important jobs, but I'm seeing all of this and I'm like, man, the power that we have, all of the financial knowledge that we have and our access and reach, and we're surrounded by abundance and, you know, all this stuff. And, and the greatest thing we can give is our time for them to see you, for them to see me and be like, we care about you. Here's what we're going to do. One of the coolest things that I did recently, I was out trying to promote my book a while ago and I was in California and a fellow by the name of Steve Sims, who's an author, he, he and I got together and we, we went with a group and taught entrepreneurship at Kern Valley State Prison in California. And it was a complete eye opener. And it was extremely enriching watching people who made bad choices and were interested in bettering their lives, whether they were going to get out of prison or not, unclear, but they were trying. Right. And and it was something that it, it just changed. Uh, it changed my perspective. It gave me a deeper appreciation for what I do and how lucky I am in a lot of different capacities. But just that notion of giving back, even even if you're not sure it's going to have the impact that you hope, it, it, it goes back to your notion of gratitude, I think, yep. that it just turns you into a different person. Yeah, and so it's absolutely. something that, something that I, I need to do more of. And yeah. I would encourage others who, uh, who are listening to this and beyond that it, it's important to do those types of things. Absolutely. You, just, to, to, just to acknowledge, you know, that was one of the things that I think freed a lot of people was just me talking about privilege. And privilege, we all have it. And we have an abundance of it. I had a meeting yesterday, a program that I go and speak to, and I'm like, what is the biggest hurdle between you reaching these kids who are incredibly poor? It's technology. And here I am. I got earbuds. I got an Apple Watch. I got a phone. That's incredible privilege. Shame on me to walk out of that meeting and not be changed. I mean, like, I got to help these kids get what they need, right? So 
that's just me, but I think we all have, as, as males, we have privilege in this business as males, right? Oh, absolutely. Now, you may have more than me as a white male, as a black male, but it's still privilege, right? It's across lines, but I think what I just try and bring people's attention to is that let's go beyond race. We have a class issue in this country, right? Imagine what you can do for a poor white kid and tell him about the things that you've seen and you've experienced. And I wrote a book and I manage all this, you know, wealth and my, my life experiences. That's powerful to that kid who feels like, how can I be poor and white? It's not supposed to be a thing. That's what people made that kid believe, but it's not right. That's one thing that unites poor people is you're poor. If you're rural, poor, working, poor, inner city, poor, you're poor. So we need to bring attention to that. I just think no matter where you sit, you have an abundance of something. Clothes, go donate them. Gadgets, donate them. Your time, donate it. Money, donate it. But we all have incredible privilege, no matter who you are. Does some have more than others? Great. But I think we have a responsibility. And I think if everyone did that, instead of worrying about MMT and and raise taxes, lower taxes, this, that, whatever, how about you and the community you are around trying to affect change close to you? Well, Tyrone, your voice is loud and impactful. I appreciate that so much. How do we keep track of you? The best way, right, to hear my rants and my voice is on Twitter, um, at TR401. Um, I have a new website now that I'm excited about, TyroneRoss.io. Go there. You'll get a little bit of me and my story and, you know, links to my, my LinkedIn and my Twitter and everything there and my email, which is uh, hello at TyroneRoss.io. Feel free to send me an email or a message. Um, my phone is always glued to my hand, so I won't miss it. Um, but that's it right now. And I got uh, some, some, some really cool things coming up that I can't say, but there's some really cool things that are about to happen that I'm just, I'm abundantly blessed. So I can't wait to share the message with the people and again, use my platform to help those in need. So I'm, I'm super grateful. Terrific. Tyrone, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. You've been listening to my conversation with Tyrone Ross, cryptocurrency expert and financial advisor at Noble Bridge Wealth. If you'd like to hear additional episodes or learn more about Wealth Actually, visit the website wealthactually.com. I'm Fraser Rice, and until the next time, thanks for listening.